This episode of YXE Underground is sponsored by Congress Beer Hall in downtown Saskatoon. If you're looking for fantastic food paired with amazing beers from across the globe, spend some time at Congress. Thank you for supporting the podcast, Congress. That access is one thing, but it's also an access to, I guess, community discourse and um, and just and being in community. And that community building, to me, is a really big, important part of public libraries. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Beth Cote from the Saskatoon Public Library. She is the feature guest in Episode 6, Season 2 of YXE Underground. There's something magical about entering the world of a library, a magic I'd kind of forgotten about until doing this episode of the podcast. I have Beth Cote to thank for rekindling that magic. Beth is the Director of Public Services for the Saskatoon Public Library and has been an influential voice in helping raise support for a new downtown public library in our city. The role of libraries in our communities is changing and that's something Beth is embracing and she wants you to as well. So right now it's a Sunday afternoon. I'm in the Francis Morrison Library here in downtown Saskatoon. I'm in the magazine newspaper section. It's about five minutes to two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, it, the library is really busy, but uh, I'm, I'm trying not to draw too much attention to myself, hence the, the hushed tones. Um, I never know how loud to talk in a library, but I'm surrounded by newspapers and magazines, so really I, I couldn't be much happier. This is a great spot. Uh, the, the role of libraries in our community, and specifically a new downtown library in Saskatoon, has been on people's minds for the past few months. The Saskatoon Public Library Board has been working closely with City Council on creating a new downtown branch that would replace the Francis Morrison Library, which opened in 1966. Other cities across Canada, including Calgary, Ottawa, and Halifax, have opened new downtown libraries in recent years to much fanfare. And the exciting news is that City Council has given the Saskatoon Public Library the go-ahead to create such a space for our community. Details about the project are expected this spring, but the efforts by the Saskatoon Public Library to make their dream a reality has sparked a conversation about the role of libraries in our community. What would you like to see in a downtown library? I used to spend a lot of time in libraries. When I was growing up in Swift Current, my uh, mom and dad would take my sister and I to the library. It was uh, right by the Swift Current Creek, and um, it was a great little library. had a great kids' corner, and uh, they had those big wooden spools that would hold the newspapers, and I, I loved going through those. And then uh, when I went to university in Calgary and, and here in Saskatoon as well, I spent a lot of time in the libraries. Fun fact about the University of Calgary Library, there is a floor that has nothing on it, and the reason why is when they designed the library, they forgot to account uh, for the weight of the books. So when they started loading up the books, the, the building started to sink, so they had to leave uh, one floor empty. So next time you're at the University of Calgary Library, check it out. Um, libraries sure have changed, though. Um, now, you know, I'm, I'm looking around the Francis Morrison Library, and there's just so many things that you can do here. And, um, yeah, it, it's it's amazing to see how they changed and, and how they continue to change. And I, I wanted to know more about 
our libraries here in Saskatoon and specifically the role of the downtown library and Beth was the perfect person to speak with. As I mentioned off the top, she is the Director of Public Services for the Saskatoon Public Library and she oversees all the frontline programming for the library and well, I really think she has a lot on her plate. Her colleague Amanda LePage explains Beth's job like this. But there's a group of managers and senior managers who have certain portfolios. So some will take, um, you know, look after branches. Um, some will look after partnerships. Uh, some will lift, look after programming. And um, Beth is the lady who pulls it all together. Um, she's a direction maker. So when we have conversations, um, uh, when I have conversations and I'm thinking, you know, here's a possible solution, she sees the really big picture um, and she gives us direction. She knows what, what the executive wants. She knows what the board and the CEO want and the directors want. So she is really a connector between the managers uh, and the board and the executive of the library. How, how important is that role, especially with, like, it's such a big organization and there's so many different pieces to it. How, how important is it to have that that role where someone's sort of bringing it all together. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I super. I want to say super important, but <laughs> you can say that about okay, it. Okay, sounds good. Um, it, it is. It's. It's really key because in an organization like this, where you have, you know, three hundred of the most talented and creative individuals who are passionate about serving the community, um, we can go in all kinds of directions with all kinds of things and all kinds of decisions. So. Um, you know, we we all want to be working on the same goals. We have these fantastic strategic goals that we work on. And, um, you know, Beth, with everything that I go to her with anyway in my work unit, um, she sees our work through the lens of our strategic goals and says, well, what do, you, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And she also sees the parts where the work we're doing, say, in welcoming initiatives might impact what's happening in neighborhood services or programming or so she sees the other managers perspectives and can kind of bring me back around um, to think what is best for the organization what is best for the community so um, that's kind of her lens she pulls it all together Beth brings people together and so it's fitting that a lot of our conversation relates to how libraries bring people together from all walks of life thanks to a desire to gain knowledge so a few weeks ago, Janelle Wallace, our podcast photographer, and I met Beth at 8.30 in the morning here at the Francis Morrison Library. It doesn't open until 10, so we had the place all to ourselves, which was really neat. I asked Beth to take us to her favorite part of the library, and right away she said the children's section. Why the children's section, you ask? Often in libraries, this is where the magic happens. This is where people are first introduced to the idea of the library. They come to the big central children's area to find a huge selection of books um, to meet other kids and parents to meet other parents and it's a really magical experience I think for a lot of people. I, I asked you to take us to your favorite spot in the library and this is where <laughs> this is where we ended up and there's yeah. a massive Winnie the Pooh bear right beside us. Um, what, what is it about the children's um, section of the library that you love so much? I think my favorite part of this area as an adult is seeing the just the wonder and excitement on kids' faces when they come for a class visit or um, even when they come in, you know, with their parents or caregivers. Um, we have maybe a little known uh, fact is we, we have a budget line for purchasing baby dolls and toy food in this area because they're just such 
popular items that kids will come in here and you'll see uh, small children each with a baby doll in hand or in their little shopping carts and they all know which ones they like to pick out when they arrive and sometimes those those dolls go and find another home and uh, and we do end up we've replaced them they get absolutely played out and worn out um, and then yeah and then sometimes I think they they end up getting adopted. So um, <laughs> so seeing kids just interact with toys they might not have at home and with each other in a, in a kind of open social space and that excitement. And just there's an excitement in here when story time's about to happen that you, it's hard to describe. You can feel it in the air and the kids anticipate going through the little door and oh. into Pooh Corner. T- and, tell me about story time. Um, well, story time is... I mean, in any library, I think story time is a a really exciting time for kids. Um, it's it's a free activity in you know cities where we don't often have a lot of free activities for families and children anymore. Um, and really, it's a chance for you know us to introduce kids and their families maybe to a couple of books that we know are are really great stories they may want to take home and and uh, talk a bit about rhyme and and understanding that sort of reading development, Um, maybe sing a couple songs and just get kids and families passionate about reading and books and words and and sharing that together. But when you go into Pooh Corner, because it's a little door um, that's embedded in a tree in the wall, um, I think it just has this magical feeling. You, as an adult, you have to duck down to get in. And I think as a child, my childhood library had something similar in Regina, um, where it's a little door and you go in and you just feel like you're entering a new and different space. And it's, it's magical. Yeah. Where, where, where is Pooh Corner right now? Because we're right next to Winnie the Pooh, but where is this magical door? Yeah, it's right over, just as you walk into the children's area. Um, there's a sort of a relief of a tree on the wall and a, and a large mural that um, kind of starts to give you a sense that there's something magical on the other side. It's a red door. It is a little red door. Oh, this is lovely. I hope that my key opens it. <laughs> I have a master key. Let's... Ha! Success! We're... Oh, so look I at this. don't quite have to duck to get in. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't have to duck either. But I feel like I'm going to anyway. Okay, yeah. Oh, look at it. So as we enter, there's theater lighting. Oh, my gosh. Look at this. This is uh, Janelle, look at this. Um, I may need to sneak through from the other side to get the lighting, but once we turn the full lights on... There's a little um, fireplace, and you can see in the ceiling the lights come on as stars. So it really, it really changes the space. It almost feels like a cave in here, and you yes, might be it, able to hear it in the echo. Yeah, it does. It, it sounds fantastic in here. You, but you talked about being talked about being transported to a new space. And as a kid, this just like I'm thinking as a 37 year old kid right now. I'm fascinated. Oh, Janelle just turned on her light. Yeah. Oh, there's a little stage up there. Yeah, this is great. Actually, with the help of that light, I can get to where the other switches are. (laughs) It's set up like, um, it was really designed like an old theater. So just be careful on the stairs because they're actually risers for sitting. And you're intended to walk down the middle. So the rest of the space is not, it doesn't, it's uh, not what you would expect. 
need to take a tumble. Why am I not succeeding? Oh, sorry, team. It's okay. I wish I could turn them on. I obviously don't program in this space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it, uh, yeah, like talk yeah. about as a kid, as a four or five-year-old kid, coming in here, and then the power of stories as well. Like, this is just wonderful. Yeah, you see, a, you can see large groups of kids come in here where there'll be 40 or 45, say, grade one or grade two kids, and they're all, they often walk over from the schools or they take the bus. Um, they show up and you can hear them coming up the stairs. They're talking excitedly. Sometimes parents are trying to say, or teachers are saying, shh, we're in the library. <laughs> um, and it's a loud event, right? You can hear them coming and it's exciting. And then... Um, and then they all line up and they enter this space and there's a change. They quietly file uh, into the risers and they, and they sit down and they're so expectant and that whole group of kids where you can't imagine keeping 45 kids, yeah. seven or eight year olds, uh, quiet, they, they quietly await what's going to happen next. Um, and sometimes that's a, a shadow puppet show and um, sometimes it's a told story. But you can't believe how you could speak almost in a whisper and everybody in the room will hear you because um, they're just waiting for the next moment. And I think told story is something that, you know, in this day and age, we get questions. Why, why do you still have a public library? Don't we have the internet? Um, but we've been telling each other stories and sharing stories um, orally and in print for so long that uh, I think we forget that that's a a really integral part of, of how we share experiences and how we share knowledge. And kids get that, and they come into this space, and you can feel that it's a space f to experience something new, and they anticipate it, and they love it. <laughs> you touched on something that I want to get to in a little bit in terms of the, the role of a public library, because I, I'm so curious about your thoughts on that. But um, the, the fact that you were able to get... 40, 45 kids in here, and, and they're excited to come to the library. They come here, their attention is, is strictly focused on what's happening here. Why is that important, Beth, to, to get them hooked so early? That's a good question. I mean, I think more than it being important to us necessarily to get kids hooked on the library early, I think it's just a time when um, for young families and for families with young children, it's, it's an important time to have that free resource. Um, and like the number of books that a young child would read, the, the studies say they have to have been read about 10,000 books by the time that they are sort of ready to read for kindergarten. So if you think of purchasing 10,000 board books, and if anybody who's around small children or has had small children, you know, you know, they're firing through another one, another one, maybe three or four books a night, and at possibly 25 to $30 a book, um, that would be a hefty cost. So for, for young kids to get that kind of access to board books, um, for them to, it's not just the access to the books, but also that, that access to, you know, parents and caregivers seeing how, seeing it demonstrated how you could read to children and see their children love that. People turn around and take those books home and they maybe read it the same way or differently and just exploring that difference in how maybe mom or dad or grandma might read that book the, to how the you know, the man at Storytime read the book. Um, those are just ways kids are exploring language, and every exploration is that other step toward literacy. So I think that um, 
for us, it's it's meeting that need where it is, and we still see that continued need. Story time is still, I mean, increasingly popular. So as long as people still really want and need to bring their children in for story time, we'll still hold those events, you know? That is such an interesting point you bring in terms of, of who is telling the story is going to is going to influence the, the, the kid in, in different ways. I, I'm just thinking I have a four-year-old nephew in North Battleford and how his mom reads to him and how his grandma or my wife or I read to him, it's totally different. Oh, and they'll tell you, you know, <laughs> if you miss a word or if you, uh, you know, say that differently than grandma normally says it or something like that. Um, but that's what's so exciting. And I think it's, uh, our hope is anyway that, um, that, even myself, when I used to do story times, um, when earlier in my career as a librarian, um, I would often, when kids would get restless, break into song, like sing a little children's song or something. And I don't sing particularly well, um, but kids learn a lot about, you know, the parts of speech from from hearing singing, right? So hopefully empowering other parents that if they want to sing, like this lady's singing and she doesn't sing well, and that's okay. <laughs> and uh, the kids love it, right? You know, even whether I'm on tune or whatever, they don't care. The Even a restless group of kids, you start singing or you start telling a story and they just come, yeah. you know? So um, so it's just, it's very telling for for what they're, they're interested in seeing and hearing and also um, hopefully inspires parents and caregivers to feel like they can go and do the same. You are listening to Episode 6, Season 2 of YXC Underground. I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and our guest is Beth Cote from the Saskatoon Public Library. If you're enjoying the episode so far, why not share it with a friend? And better yet, tell them to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever they find their favorite podcasts. You can also tell them that all episodes can be streamed on Spotify or at yxeunderground.com. This episode of YXE Underground is sponsored by the great team at Congress Beer Hall in downtown Saskatoon, which is one of my favorite places to enjoy a pint in the city. Don't forget, you can find YXE Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you will see some really wonderful photos of Beth and her favorite parts of the library taken by Janelle Wallace. As I'm sure you could tell, we had a lot of fun in Pooh Corner. The role of the children's section in a library was reinforced to me by Beth and by my friend Leisha Grubinski. You might know Leisha as the host of CBC Radio's Saskatoon Morning. I know Leisha as the kind and extremely talented journalist who took a certain redhead intern under her wing when he was a CBC intern 11 years ago and taught him how to be a good journalist. That was me. Uh, I also know that Leisha and her two children, Zelda, who is three, and Otto, who is eight months, love going to the library. So after hearing Beth speak so poignantly about the importance of libraries to kids, I met up with Leisha, Zelda, and Otto at the J.S. Wood branch and asked Leisha what libraries mean to her family. When I first had Zelda, um, as a new mom, I was pretty intimidated to go out on my own and the idea of having to breastfeed in public and just not super comfortable hauling a baby around yet. Um, the very first place I went was the library because I knew that there might be other parents there. Even if there wasn't, it was going to be a safe place for me to sit, to just hang out, to be in a public <laughs> place where there were other people and I could be comfortable. 
um, feeding my daughter uh, and changing her. And sure enough, moments after we arrived, there was a giant mess and poop. And uh, the library has a change table area, so you don't even have to like haul them into a gross bathroom. It's just there for, for parents and they have extra wipes if you need them. And then I did the exact same thing with Otto, my very first outing with both children, which is a whole new challenge. <laughs> <laughs> much more complicated than just one baby. And the first place I went was the library. And again, because I just knew, I, I knew it would be a safe place to go. And sure enough, within minutes, Otto pooped. And I thought, here we go again. And Zelda was running around and the librarians just looked at me with a lovely smile and, and told me it was okay, you know, you're gonna get through this. And then we just keep, we come here all the time. We go, like my kids just love, we love to read. We love to read together and it's just a great place to come and hang out. And if your kids are bad, it doesn't matter. That's Moana. That's Moana, yeah. Libraries are truly a place where community thrives. And how our community will shape a new downtown library is one of several topics Beth covers in the second part of our conversation. I mean, public libraries have been about books for a long time but really they're often about access to information whether that turns up in books or as you started noticing in Swift Current it starts to turn up in computers and access yeah. to um, you know Wi-Fi now even if you bring your own computer or your own device um, and that access is one thing but it's also an access to I guess community discourse and um, and just and being in community and that community building to me is a really big important part of public libraries. Um, Why is that important to you? Um, because when we, as as people, I think we need to be around other people, um, and oftentimes there aren't places in our current society where you can go and be, say, alone but together um, with other people without really designated purpose like you you know if you go to um, a store you need to buy something or be there to shop or um, a lot of places you have to go there and spend money to be there um, in a public library you can you can go to the library you can you can come here for any reason uh, you don't have to pay to be here um, and and you can you can run into something you may not have expected. You can maybe find a book you didn't expect, or you can see somebody, run into somebody you maybe wouldn't have run into in your regular walk of life. Um, and then, and you can stay connected. So people in a democratic society need to stay connected. They need to stay connected online as things move more, you know, as um, government forms move online. Often libraries are the place where people can come and fill those out. Um, but really as a community space, people, people meet up at the library, you watch it happen, they come in groups, they come alone, they meet with each other, um, and you can end up, you know, sitting at a table, maybe, maybe you're here to look at genealogy, but there's an author next to you who's researching something for their next book, or there's children coming through, even if you don't necessarily have children in your life, and you... You get that sense of community, and I think in a democratic society we need to, to all have that sense of community, that place where our voice can be heard, um, that opportunity to gather information and to share information, and the library is that for a lot of people. It, it must be so neat for you to see, you were talking about like people coming and gathering together, that must be so neat for you to see, and especially if, you know, such a diverse 
population that we have now in Saskatoon and, and people from all walks of life just coming together. That must be so neat to see. Yeah, it really is. And um, some of the times of day, I mean, you see young people and teenagers show up after school um, and they may you know, see people from other schools or, you know, be interacting both with adults or very young children. And, and you just, you just kind of see everybody come together and it ebbs and flows. So when you're, when you're here all day, you notice that, uh, you know, there's time frames where you have all the, the small children all playing together. And then there's times when all the teenagers are in and they may kind of, I don't know, <laughs> they appear like they're not talking to each other, but I think they are. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're sharing music on their, on their earbuds or they're, um, you know, sitting around in the teen area or in one of the, the pods. And, you know, you just, you just get a real sense of, um, of who's out there in the community and they all can kind of come out and be here. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you make a, a really compelling case for, for community. And, that, and that's something um, I, I really believe in too. And, and working at Sherbrooke Community Centre, I can see that like how the importance of, of community. So then, this past year, as as you and your organization have been, you know, telling the rest of the of the city, hey, all these great things are happening at the library. Wouldn't it be great to like even bump that up, like even more, and expand that with with a new building? Um, what what has that experience been like? Um, well, you know, going out and talking to people about what they want to see in a new library. Um, has really brought out, I mean, it's just great to hear. It, you, you hear that everybody has an opinion about what they want in a new library, what they want to see. Um, even if people haven't used the library for years, people will remember something from when they were a child about the library, or they'll, they'll have an opinion and a thought about how they want a library to look in their community. And um, I, it's been both surprising sometimes at the types of things people are interested in. We heard a lot um, about people wanting to have sort of interactive spaces with the outdoors. And I think in our often winter city, we uh, we crave that all winter long. So I wasn't necessarily expecting to hear that from people about their library, but that's that's one of the things we heard from people. And then it was... It was really exciting to hear people wanting to hold on to some of the things that have been there in the library. They want the books. They want to know that there'll still be collections. They could still walk through the stacks. They want to know that there'll still be a children's area and a, and a story room they can go into. And, and that was a lot of what people asked for as well. And we really heard people asking for more, you know, more of the programming they love and more of the you know, materials and books that they love and more music and <laughs> more. Yeah. yeah. More. Um, that, that must have, I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, the, all, all these new things and yet the basics like books and a, and a great space, like the, the one we just saw for story time, that must be kind of reassuring too, that, you know, there, there, there's advances in libraries and yet at the core, there's still like you need you need your mm-hmm. your bones of a library, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we still see increases in circulation of, of books, paper books, uh, year over year. So we're we see increases of visits to the library as well, um, but we don't see a decline in people wanting to borrow books, take books home, and read them. Um, and again, we see increases to people coming to programming as well. So. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that people want both 
what's existed and they want something new because we we see a lot of kids coming into our video game rooms and again our innovation labs and um, adults and kids alike kind of interacting with getting to just play with blocks for an afternoon, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So Beth, where, where do things stand now with, with a new, with a new library and, and, and all the, the talks with city council and stuff, where, where do things stand? Um, well, we're moving ahead with the project. Um, we, uh, we had the approval for the loan that, that you heard in council in the fall, um, which uh, allows us to keep moving forward the project. The The project is not even in design phase yet, so the next steps are kind of starting to lead towards that, selecting a location, selecting land, um, and and starting to uh, do more consultations about what people really want to see in a library and, and moving into design. So yeah. those are the exciting next steps, because every time we talk about a new central library, those are, I'd say, the top two questions. Yeah. Where is it going to be, and yeah. what is it going to look like? So, yeah. You, you mentioned yeah. that it's exciting, though, because it, it just got me thinking, as, as this has been in the news for the last little while, it feels like there is... Um, there's a, a positive momentum behind it, and it's it has people talking and sort of reassessing what they want from libraries, and that like maybe for yourself, but even for your team too. Like, how how does that feel to know that there's this wave of like, hey, let's let's talk about the library, let's talk about the role and, and what we want from it. Well, it's a really good thing because um, as soon as people are talking about it, we can really we can find out what it is that people what people want, and the library really belongs to the people in a city and needs to reflect the needs and the and the use that that city has at that time. I mean, um, this building, Francis Morrison Central Library, in 1966, when it opened, would have been just, I mean, it's it's still very beautiful architecture. It's a... Uh, um, it, it would have changed the area here, and people were very excited about it opening at the time. Um, when we were just near Pooh Corner, we had some photos in our local history room of um, a, a elementary school student opening the door to Pooh Corner in 1966. Um, <laughs> and so excited, right? Yeah. This, this new place. And when we um, repainted the mural to sort of repair some damage over time a few years back, we posted that picture on social media and the woman came forward and said, that was me. Um, Serious. So, <laughs> so, you know, people have a connection to each building as it goes forward. And we have pictures in the local history room to, for, of the central library that predated this building as well, which was iconic in the at the time as well and really served the needs of what people use the library for. Um, yeah, a, a new library would also be... Um, you know, it, they, they're placemakers in other places. You can see the library that opened in 2014 in Halifax and 2018 in Calgary as examples in Canada. Um, but there's lots of new, beautiful libraries around the world if you want to engage in library tourism, as our past board chair, Lisa Erickson, puts it. Um, as we, I think, all of us in libraries do. <laughs> um, yeah, they they... They define a neighborhood and they can really change the space. Um, they're, you know, places for people to come and to meet and um, and really be that sort of living room for people so people living in the area can come and, you know, spend their time there. If they don't have a large sitting room themselves, they can do their morning coffee and yeah. newspaper reading at the library and then 
go back to their condo or you know yeah and that's uh that's a lovely thing you see in new libraries that have um or in cities that have new libraries new central libraries with big beautiful like beautiful open spaces that when the spaces are beautiful people people like to be in them um, and that just opens up more opportunity i think for people to use the library in in all the ways that they want to you uh you were mentioning the the photo of of the little girl in 1966 i'm sure janelle and i had the same expression on our face in 2020 when we were coming <laughs> out of the pool. i know you're like here it is yeah, yeah. yeah. um i know okay um, so yes local history yeah so this is uh, the local history area of the library. It's, um, it has its own door. And again, we'll try my master key, which works. Nice. There's two master keys in this building, and I have one of them. And I think I can open all the public spaces, but I, I'm told I can, but I haven't actually tried it. So this is a perfect experiment day. So you can see in this room that it has, um, even some of the furnishings are quite old and some beautiful wood pieces in here. Um, it deliberately has a different feel. Um, I think all of the older books um, and older materials in here kind of come together to, to give it a different feel. And of course, um, we have tables set up sort of like a traditional reading room so that people can use the, use the, the books and other materials in this area. Everything in this area has to stay here. We don't okay. we don't check out uh, the local history collection. We often have uh, duplicates of, say, local Saskatchewan and Saskatoon writers elsewhere in the collection. People can take home, but we like to keep a copy here to make sure that throughout time, even as collections turn over, we still have those local copies. Um, I we we've been talking for about half hour or so and I it it is so clear how much you love your job and how much you love being here and you're smiling right now um I I'm wondering where what what made you want to become a librarian and and enter enter this world so that's funny I I could I could tell you uh like looking back on it that I made a very deliberate decision um but really, I think I stumbled into uh, libraries in some ways. I, I grew up fortunate in a family that used the library and the public library a lot as a kid. Uh, so I had an experience of, you know, we had two shelves in my home where those were just the library shelves. When we didn't have library books, they'd be empty while we went off to the library every four weeks. Everyone picked out their books. Both of my parents are uh, are big readers. so. Um, we would all select our books and then line them up on those library shelves and you'd read all the ones you selected and then I'd read my sister's books and then my dad's books and then my mom's books and then, you know, and, and it would always be something different and interesting you found at the library and we frequented every branch. So that was just a normal experience for me as a kid um, and that probably does feed into where my love of libraries starts. But uh, like many people as I as I grew up and felt I was an adult um, in my late teens and early 20s, I kind of, oh, I didn't need the library. I went to university libraries when I needed to. Um, and I had a plan because I did have a love of adult learning. And I, I was going to be an English professor. I did an English degree. I was really excited about that. Um, and somewhere along the way, it didn't feel right. I was kind of going through the steps of the education I would need. And, uh, 
you know, being a teaching assistant for English classes. And I thought, like, I like it, but there's an element of learning. Could we just be more free with our learning and all learn what we want to? And any adult can come and anybody. And I, I realized that my passion was more about that lifelong learning than it was necessarily about doing that learning in a university setting. And um, at the same time, I was sort of working in food security and in um, a, a soup kitchen. I, we, I was living in Montreal at the time and met up with a woman who was going to do her master's in library and information. And I just didn't know it was there was such a thing. And she said, yeah, I'm going to go become a librarian. And somehow that clicked to me in the moment. I thought I was just about done uh, the degree I was in, and I wasn't sure I wanted to do the next step. And I was getting involved in more grassroots social justice work. And those two things really came together. So, uh, yeah, I left. I, we, I left there and went to library. We call it library school. Uh, yeah, it's like normal school or something. It's yeah. left over from the past. But um, <laughs> I went to UBC, actually, even though there is a library school in Montreal, um, to do there. I knew I would be coming back to Saskatchewan. And I also had um, kind of already at that time started to get a sense of there being a need for something around what we didn't yet call reconciliation. But I was thinking I knew... From living here before, there was a, there's a large Indigenous population here in Saskatchewan, and I knew moving back to Saskatchewan, I would be, you know, working in that environment and thought, I need to know more. And they have a special program at uh, UBC that allows for sort of a combined library and Indigenous studies. So I went and did that, which was very exciting, and then, uh, and then moved back here. And in library school, people often come into it because it's a master's and you need another degree people come into it thinking they'll work in university libraries and it's sort of a joke among in library school that everyone comes in to be an academic librarian and some people do uh, choose that career but many people not everybody does but everyone seems to start thinking I know academic libraries because I went to university that's where I'm going to go work um, but pretty immediately after I'd started my schooling I kept gravitating toward um, you know, courses about change leadership and courses about public libraries and about literacy. And I realized, okay, I'm not going to be an academic librarian. I think I want to go to public libraries. So, yeah, I was very fortunate to, uh, to be able to find work here at the public library when I moved back to Saskatchewan. And, uh, and I was bitten by the bug. <laughs> so when, when, yeah. you, when you started working here in, in the branches here in Saskatoon, um, wh what was it that, that bit you? <laughs> it's the people, um, both the, the, the people, um, all the, the library workers. People work in public libraries um, because they love it. So really, when you work in public libraries, you, you meet a, a bunch of other colleagues who are here because they absolutely love uh, sort of the service of the, the, the public service of it, right? They love even people who aren't working right with the public who are you know, cataloging books or selecting materials, all those things that people have to do to make this place run. Um, you know, they're, they're out there fixing the computers because they care and are passionate about public libraries and the service to the people. So that's an exciting workplace to be in where everybody's very passionate about what they do. Um, and then I, I really love the people coming in the door. So I, 
I love meeting all the different, all the different people coming from all different walks of life who are here for all different reasons. It's very exciting to hear all the different even information needs people have when they have a question or looking for a book and you can uh, sort of solve the riddle. Do, do you still remember like a really out of left field question that you received maybe in your first couple months or yeah, years I, or yesterday? <laughs> I think for, um, f for people who work in public libraries, this won't be an, an out of left field question, but we get the one that we get that is they're complicated and they're like a riddle and you can find them is questions like, um, it's a, it's a red book. My <laughs> grandma read it to me. I think there's a flower on the cover, you know, and, uh, and you think, okay, so I, your grandma read it to you around what year, you know, you can start to sort it out. Um, and I remember one where the person was asking for a book that they knew would had sort of a soft focus cover and it had something about a ballerina and there was something in it about sort of about bullying or something, but it was, would have been from the 1960s. It was an older book and she just remembered having been read this book as a child and it took, it was at the Cliff Wright Library at the time and all of us working there, we said, okay, well, we'll call you back. <laughs> And I think it took us the better part of the day. And we, we called her a few times with different books. Is it this? No? Okay. You know, we'd yeah. send her, email her a photo of the book. No, no, that's not it. And then we did eventually find it. It wasn't one we had in our collection, but we were, it was one that one of the libraries in Saskatchewan had in their collection. And we said, is this it? Yes. So we were able to call it in through the Saskatchewan Integrated Library You're service. a detective. It was awesome. Yeah, it's like being a book detective. Yeah. It's, it's fun. And when you can find that piece of information for somebody, um, it's just so exciting because, you know, somebody's looking for something and they, they don't know how to find it. And they've often exhausted whatever avenues they have. And then you find this piece of information, the the little breadcrumb that takes them on the next step in their genealogy travels, or um, or that book they were looking for, or the or the textbook information they really need for their test tomorrow, and it makes a difference in people's lives. Whether it's that student who, you know, now can stay up all night studying because they have what they need, um, you know, or or that can jog that memory of a you know, since passed away grandparent, a book they used to read, or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons, so. That's a really exciting. wonderful story. Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, but before before I let you go, um, I, I really want to ask you, um, you know, you, you talk to a lot of people in the community in terms of what they want to see um, in their in their future library, um, but I, I would like to ask you, uh, what, what would... If there's one thing that you would like to see going forward um, in the library, and I know you have a lot of power because you have two master keys, so maybe it will happen. <laughs> I know. Uh, what What would you like to see um, in a, in the in the space of a new yeah. central library? Um, I I would love to see natural light. Um, I I think in this day and age we we need to be looking at buildings that are sustainable. Um, but, you know, buildings that breathe and buildings that, you know, feel alive, something that, that has that uh, sort of human sense, you know, you enter those types of buildings where you really feel uh, at home right away there, that, that there's lots of, of spaces you could go, different spaces that you could go and be either together with people or when you want to put your headphones in and just be alone with a book. Um, that's, 
it's it's more that feeling of of the library that I'm really excited to see. And of course, I am no architect or designer, so I um, I'm I'm really hoping that someone does something very beautiful. I think that our city deserves a a beautiful library that we're all so proud of. I visited Halifax in 2015, 16, so a couple of years after their library had opened. And um, uh, my husband uh, owns some local local uh, bakeries and businesses, so he always has a list of coffee shops and bakeries and donut places, the places I'm supposed to go uh, when I go somewhere. So I had gone across the harbour to Dartmouth to a little... A cafe there and uh, early morning and I was taking a couple pictures of my food and talking to the guy behind the counter who looked at me and said oh so you're visiting here and I was like yeah yeah you know you're from Saskatoon and he said have you seen our library and I thought I didn't say I was a librarian I didn't say I said my husband's a baker <laughs> um, but he said have you seen our library and that, to me, was, uh, he felt it was theirs, and he was so proud of it that when a visitor comes, that's what you should go see, and that's what I want for Saskatoon. Yeah. It has been an absolute pleasure um, speaking with you this morning. Thank you for the tour. Um, you're, you're, we only did the second floor. Yeah. <laughs> you're an amazing storyteller, and uh, I, I would have loved to have seen you conduct a story time in Pooh Corner. Well, I may yet again. Yeah. Let us know when you do. Um, Beth, thank you so much for your time and for being on the podcast. And, and good luck with everything. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming out in the early morning to visit. That's good. My thanks to Beth Cote for sharing her time and just enlightening me so much on the vital role of libraries in Saskatoon. I hope Beth has inspired you to go and visit a library. This has been episode six of season two of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. You can subscribe to YXE Underground for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Stream episodes on Spotify or on the website yxeunderground.com and don't forget to leave a review. If you know someone in Saskatoon who is doing something really great in our community but is flying under the radar, let me know. You can send an email to ericandersonyxe at gmail.com. You can also find YXE Underground on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. And that's where you can find some amazing photos Janelle Wallace took for this podcast episode. A big thank you to Janelle for all of her hard work. Thank you to my cousin Andrew Dixon for creating all the music you heard in the podcast and thanks to Danger Dynamite for taking care of the website. I also want to give a big thank you to Congress Beer Hall in downtown Saskatoon for their financial support of this episode. Congress holds a special place in my heart because that's where my wife and I hosted our friends and family the day before we were married in August of 2015. It's a really great place to enjoy great food and drinks and a big thank you to Blair, Brad and the entire Congress team for believing in the podcast. Next month, a very special episode revolving around the Juno Awards, which are coming to Saskatoon on March 15th. You are going to meet the Tourism Saskatoon team and discover how they were able to convince Juno organizers to return to Saskatoon. It's really fascinating to hear how they did it, and I know you're going to love the episode. 
Before I go, I would like to say that all of the interviews you heard in this episode were recorded on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon. Yeah.